0: Now, (laughs) who of you guys have ever seen or experienced a miracle? Put up your hand, put up your hand if you've seen or experienced a miracle. Okay, now, for those that haven't, today you're going to experience a miracle because this is the last class of the series. (laughs) Yes. Believe it or not, miracles happen. I've done a series that will have only four classes in it. So why only four? It will remain a mystery. So obviously the idea of the series, if you've not, if you've not picked up on it, uh, it's not a how to pray. Uh, it is not a this is what you must do when you go and pray or you must go and do ABC. I do believe in those things. Uh, in appropriate times and places, I'm trying to help us take our mind outside of a box uh, and really think about the mystery of prayer and what it is that God is calling us to in prayer and what it means, particularly for older Christians, as we mature, what our prayer lives should look and feel like. So with that in mind, why don't we go to God in prayer? Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that we can once again meet. Thank you for the songs that we can sing. Thank you that every day that we get to be in your presence, and that every day your presence is with us, individually, collectively, and in our world, Uh, that you keep it alive, that you sustain it, that you allow it to flourish, Uh, that every day we can see the sun rise, Father, and as the sun rises, that we can experience uh, the breath of life really from you shining upon us. And I I uh, pray this morning as we uh, close out the series, as we uh, consider the mystery of prayer, that we'll keep all those things in mind, that we will think uh, of who it is to whom we are praying, not only in this moment, but whether it is before a meal, whether it's a morning prayer, an evening prayer, praying in the car or in lonely places, whatever it might be, uh, that we will realize that in that moment we interact with the divine, that we interact, we have the privilege of interacting with our creator and the sustainer of all things. For we love you, we pray in your son's name, amen. In Matthew chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 7, Jesus said, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows... What you need before you ask Him. Could it be that the words that we use are the least important part of our prayers? Amen. We can go home now. <laughs> <laughs> that prayer is not about what we say, but about the posture and the spirit which we have as we approach God in prayer, whether in a deep moment of lament or even just a prayer before a meal. Prayer, in essence, invites us to lower our defenses and present the self that no other person fully knows to a God who already knows. C.S. Lewis said... The prayer preceding all prayers is, may it be the real I who speak, and may it be the real you that I speak to. Sure. May it be the real I who speak. Not the I or I portray to be, not the I I want to be, not the I I think I am, or the one I think you want me to be but the real me. May it be the real I who speak, and for another time and place, almost more challenging, may it be the real you that I speak to. The real you. Not the God that I created in my own image. Not who I think you are, or who who other people say you are, but the real you. May it be the real I, who speak, and might be the real you that I'm speaking to. Luke 18 says to some who were confident of their own righteousness, who were confident about their standing before God, confident about the way that they were living, and their uprightness, and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I have. Thank you that I'm not like Fred, Remo, (laughs) Susie. Fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, Remo, (laughs) stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The tax collector from the temple stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his presence and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The prayer preceding all prayers, this might be the real I who speak and might be the real you who I speak to. But is the real me, even worthy of offering up a prayer, making contact with the divine, entering the sacred space between heaven and earth. As you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's very clear that in Jesus' day, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the unclean people reached out their hands to receive God's grace. Well, the religious people, the holy people, the, if you may, even church-going people, closed their hands into a tight fist. Jesus said to the upright people of his day, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For to receive the gift of God's grace, you have to have open hands. So if that is the case, why is it the fake me and not the real me that so often approaches God in prayer? My guess is that we don't want to face the reality. Either we don't want to admit who we are, we don't want to admit that we are profoundly self-consumed, proud, and in all honesty, often even narcissistic. Or maybe the real me doesn't want to approach him because I'm wallowing in self-pity and insecurity. I never do anything right. Can I go before a God like this? Maybe the idea of confession when we come before God is not for us to feel guilty or feel sorry for ourselves, but rather to call to mind the reality that we so easily ignore when we acknowledge who we are before the creator of the cosmos, it restores the balance of the universe and places everything once again in perspective. I recently read about a pastor who would pray before every sermon, saying, Lord, if these people knew about me what you know about me, they wouldn't listen to a word I say. Who was that? Mm. (laughs) It was great. My guess is if I were to pray that in the opening prayer, you would run for it. The truth hurts. Yet we cannot receive healing unless we accept the diagnosis of our wounded state. God already knows who we are. We are the ones who must find a way to come to terms with our true selves. The psalmist cried out and said, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. In order to overcome self-deception, we need God's all-knowing help. We need His searching of our hearts to root out our hidden offenses, the heart and the motive behind our behavior. Norwegian theologian, Ol Helsby settled on a single word as the best summary of the heart's attitude that God accepts as prayer, and that word is helplessness. He said, whether prayer takes the form of words or not, does not mean anything to God, only to ourselves. Only he who is helpless can truly pray. Only he who is helpless. What a stumbling block to us as mankind as we almost from birth aspire to self-reliance. We like to pay our own way, live in our own house, make our own decisions from as young as we can, and rely on no one for outside help. For as the painter William Johnson said, if it is to be, it is up to me. Faced with an unexpected challenge, how to overcome a bout of depression that you did not see coming or thought you would ever be able to experience, facing a broken relationship, whether that is as a teenager or an adult or a divorce, a loss of love, a loss of purpose, we seek out Google or YouTube or the latest social media experts, God forbid. Not realizing that in that process we are systematically sealing off the heart's attitude most desirable to God and most descriptive of the true state, of our true state rather, in the universe. And John 15, Jesus said, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can be fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine." Neither can you, whether young or old or middle-aged, whatever, bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. A plain fact that we think we somehow are the exception to be able to deny. The truth, of course, is that none of us are self-sufficient. On the basics, we rely on farmers to produce food, transport companies to get that food to the grocery store, that then make it available for us to purchase. And in order to purchase it, we need money, and in order to get money, I must convince someone that I can provide them with some form of service in exchange for this money so that I can get to the grocery store who was brought the food by the truck, who got it from the farmer, but I'm self-sufficient and I can do everything, for it's up to me. That is not to mention, as we've said before, our need for doctors, medicine, or something as basic as oxygen. Oxygen let alone our need for all 86 billion neurons and 100 trillion synapses in our brains to do their thing so that we can function as normal. At the center of all this reality is Jesus sustaining all things by the power of His Word. Prayer forces us to get in touch with this Reality. Author Henry Nolan, the Dutch Catholic priest, professor, and theologian, big CV there for him, said, To pray is to walk in the full light of God. I'm exposing, when I pray, I expose myself and my heart, my very essence of my being, to the full light of God, and to say simply, without holding back, I am human and you are God. And in that moment, the balance of the universe, or at least your universe, is restored. Although children should outgrow the dependence on their parents, young ones, we will never outgrow dependence on God. And to the extent that we think we do, we delude ourselves. And in a world that glorifies success, appearance, and what you have, an admission of weakness and dependence on our Creator, in actual fact, disarms our pride and prepares us to receive the thing we so badly want, His grace and His favor. But then I have to admit, I am indeed helpless. The very weakness that drives us to our knees becomes an invitation to God to respond with compassion, love, and infinite power. Author Philip Yancey says, In the presence of the great physician, our most appropriate contribution may be our wounds, our brokenness. And what I bring to you, Father, in my prayer right now is my brokenness, my woundedness. I have nothing else to give. For you can be successful with God without talent, without an education, without wealth, without good looks or a charming personality, but you cannot be successful with God without humility. As a matter of fact, quite the opposite is true. For God opposes the proud, but shows favor, grace to the humble. Therefore, he says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Notice the order of events. We all want to be lifted up. I want to be lifted up out of my anxiety. I want to be lifted up out of my loneliness. I want to be lifted up out of my lack of purpose or understanding of life. Lifted up from a broken relationship. Lifted up from despair or a lack of friends or whatever it might be. We all want to be lifted up. And God wants to lift us. But in order for God to lift me in due time, I must humble myself. I first need to humble myself by taking a step down, as we looked at last week, from the executive chair. In other words, and trying to be strong, living by if it's uh, to be, it's up to me, you might find yourself blocking God's power and favor being poured out into and onto your life. And me saying, I can do it, I'm good. Yes, I need you. (laughs) Yes, I do, I say. But my heart says differently, and it's a shield, and God wants to pour out His power and favor and grace, but He can't because I'm blocking it. Jesus' story on the Pharisees and tax collector draws a sharp contrast between God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not like that girl at the office. I'm not like that guy sitting across me at school. I'm not like my boss. I'm not like my neighbor. Versus God, have mercy on me. I am actually quite like them. Therefore, have mercy on me, a sinner. This side gets rejected. That side gets welcomed every day. We need a strong corrective, and prayer offers that corrective. A time, place, and space to humble ourselves before God, the sustainer of the universe. Why value humility in prayer? Because it accurately reflects the truth <laughs> there is a God, and I am not. Humility is not about groveling before God, but rather that in His presence I gain a glimpse of my true state in the universe. That the galaxies do not indeed revolve around me. More than anything else, I think what God wants from us is our authentic self. The Japanese apparently have two words that hint at the divided self. The first is Tate Mahe, if that's pronounced correctly. I don't know if you guys can remember. I can speak Chinese, but not Lainclampendu, but not, 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 not Japanese. Tate Mahe is the part of myself I let other people see on the outside. Different levels, but other people can see it. You can see it. My family sees a little bit of a different level of Tate mahe. But then there's Hongne, what takes place on the inside, where no one can see, the secret place never made known. It is in that second place, Ongne, that God invites us to lay open in prayer. Prayer makes room for the unspeakable, those secret. Components of shame and regret that we seal away from the outside world. It is in vain that we think we keep God out as He looks into our hearts, penetrating beyond Tatamahe and Hongne where no person can see. As God said to the prophet Samuel, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the Instagram picture. He looks at reality that no one can see, sometimes not even you. In truth, what we think and feel as we pray rather than the words we speak might be the real prayer that God hears. For as the psalmist says, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? As we give voice to God with regards to what we think and feel and the depths of our heart, the power that those things have over us will mysteriously melt away as we fellowship with our Creator. I know what happens in relationships that I keep shallow with casual friends. I discuss things like weather, sport, latest movies, even ESCOM, and interesting news and events. Well, steering away with those casual friends from matters that matter most, a suppressed hurt or disappointment or hidden jealousy, a spiritual concern that I might have for myself or even for them. On the other hand, friendships deepen with those with whom I am more vulnerable and transparent, those who I entrust with the battles that are raging inside of my heart. I think it is no different in our relationship with God. Unless we are real and vulnerable about our bitterness over an unanswered prayer, our grief over loss, our guilt over an unforgiving spur, or anger, or resentment that keeps on raging in our hearts, or disappointment with him or others. Unless we are open, unless we lay it before him, our relationship with him will go nowhere. We may continue to go to church, we may continue to sing the song, say our amens and do our prayers. But unless we get vulnerable and place our deepest inner world before our Creator, we will never get to a place of intimacy with Him that we all in actual fact so deeply desire. C.S. Lewis said, we must lay before Him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. What is In us, not what ought to be in us. To put it another way, we must trust God with what God already knows. For I know this is what I should be thinking or feeling about this person or about my situation. But instead, here is what I am, an actual thinking about that person or about my situation. Here is the real me. you are my, this is the naked self that I want to put before you. I have recently, a couple of weeks ago, and I've tried this many a time in the past, as long as I've ever done it. Men usually don't do it, Is Keep a journal. So every morning I write huge portions of my prayer. That's very interesting to read. I won't give it to you. (laughs) But then the next day I'll go back and I'll look at what I have written. And I mean, there's interesting things. I should read some of it to you. I I have said in one of my prayers this week, I said, God, I think we should call me Yo-Yo Werner (laughs) because my emotions go up and they go down. They go up and they go down. But let me tell you, and I've... I've never told anyone that's not such a big thing necessary. But while I write, I am very careful. How's my health? If I die, this will become available, even just to my wife and kids. And so I say very little about them in the notes. That's where you see dot, dot, dot. And then later on, you say, I'm back. (laughs) But in the deepest parts, I feel too ashamed to even write it down. And therefore, I leave blank spaces and say, this is just between us. Father, I know this is what I should be thinking and feeling. But instead, here is what I'm thinking and feeling. If anything like me, you can so easily be consumed with wanting to sense God's presence. We sing, I want to sense His presence. And prayer, I want to sense His presence, that we give little thought to whether God actually senses our presence. When we go to God in prayer, we need to bear the deepest, most hidden parts of ourselves, for only when we do so will we discover ourselves as we truly are. For if we allow God's light into our hearts, we will most likely see a person far different from the image we cultivate for ourselves and for everyone around us to see. And it is that person who ultimately has the relationship with God. God alone knows the selfish motive behind our every act. He sees the manipulation that others might miss. He is well aware of our anger, our resentment, our jealousy, our frustration and deceit. And prayer invites us to bring our whole life, the whole me, the real me, the naked me, the manipulative, jealous, deceitful, insecure, impure, whole me into His presence for cleansing and restoration. Abraham Joshua Herschel, the Jewish theologian and philosopher, said, We cannot make God visible to us. cannot swing a wand and there he is. But we can make ourselves visible to him. And when we do, our hesitation, our shame, and our guilt will dissolve. And our fear of God will most likely yield to his embrace. We sometimes foolishly hide the real self the naked self from god because we think he will be displeased when an actual fact and may be the hiding of the real self that displeases god most from our side the wall seems like self protection from god's side it looks like a lack of trust hindering intimacy the wall will keep us apart until we acknowledge our need and God's surpassing desire to meet it. And when you take that step of faith, you might find not a tyrant, but a lover. Maybe one of the most significant purposes of prayer is to let our true selves, the real me, the one that nobody knows, Be loved and be healed by God. For in the presence of the great physician, our most appropriate contribution may be our wounds. And that, friends, is all part of the mystery of prayer.